Welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. This week, we are joined by fellow podcaster and founder and host of the globally successful The Park Ferme podcast, Todd McCandless. He joins us from across the pond to discuss all the current goings on in motorsport, particularly Formula One, in the first of a little spin-off series from our regular episodes. Thank you so much to you guys who continue to download and listen if you like it please do leave us a review it really helps us to get bigger and enjoy so a warm welcome to something a little bit different this week is a bonus edition of the motormouth podcast this is the first of a series where we meet unsung heroes or interesting people from the industry who we feel you should be familiar with and who should get your attention however before we introduce today's guest i need to dial in essex and introduce the man who i've run out of superlatives to describe over the course of the last 30 episodes or so so i'm reverting back to the status quo and commenting on the size of his ridiculous feet size 16 feet yes ladies and gents it's the man who simply cannot fit into a modern day supercar but strangely does fit into nigel mansell's 1990 formula one car and believe me we have the evidence it's mr harry benjamin how are you doing i'm very well and i do fit very snugly into nigel mansell's car yeah but, uh, i can't believe we managed to uh, talk our way into that at goodwood <laughs> last year i really don't know how they let us uh, can you remember basically get into a ferrari f1 car can you remember the car and the year didn't you just say it 1990 well, it, it was, i don't think it was it, it was it, it was actually it wasn't his race car it was no. the test car yeah and i'm not sure it was 1990 it was in the 90s but i'm not sure it was a oh, 1990 right. car it was a ferrari so Whatever date that was, I'll guess it was probably no better than the race car. It was a test car, but it's cool to say it's the race car. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I am all well here. It's pouring with rain in Essex um, at the moment, typical, but actually it's quite nice because it's been so so hot and I don't do well in the heat. Um, I'm excited as well. Like, there's motorsport is sort of coming back now yeah. that it's there. See, I watched the Indy car race, the first Indy yes. car race I've seen in a very, very, very long time. I've decided I'm going to force myself to watch whatever is left of the season you should. Um, and get into it. Um, and maybe even NASCAR, if I can bring myself to watch that as well. Um, just to just 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 excited about motorsport coming back. Yeah, no, same. It's all it's all uh, it's all good. I feel like we're starting to come out of this whole lockdown thing, and we know mm. <clears throat> we've just had a chat with uh, Steve Ryder um, on the British Touring Car side, and obviously that's starting in the first of uh, August, first weekend of August. We've got uh, British Touring Cars back in action, so slowly things are creeping back in. Anyway, um, shall I introduce today's guest? I think so. So for this first foray into a bonus show. We've turned to someone who probably has, um, until today, very little idea that he was a major part of the inspiration for this podcast. Todd um, is a businessman by day and motorsport aficionado by night. He's the founder of theparkferme.com, which is home to an abundance of motorsport and Formula One related news, views, opinion. Um, and he's also host of the Park Ferme podcast, which, as of recording today, has almost 700 episodes, which makes our paltry 30 odd look quite frankly ridiculous um, and enjoys over 65,000 downloads a month. He joins us all the way from his home in St. Louis, Missouri in the US state that not many people know, borders less, no less than eight different other states and is also known as the cave state with more than 6,000 known caves in existence and I wonder if Todd's man cave counts in that number. Anyway, enough of my ramblings. Todd, otherwise known as Negative Camber, welcome to the Motormouth podcast. (laughs) 
Guys, it's an absolute honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. No, it's our pleasure. And um, you probably had no idea that uh, while you were chucking out all these episodes over the last um, however many years you've been running the podcast, that um, there was a couple of guys over in the UK who were listening. And, and um, certainly your podcasts inspired us to take the plunge and have a go at it ourselves. And, and here we are... Um, 30-odd episodes later and, and several tens of thousands of downloads, and, and we credit a lot of it to you. So so thank you for giving oh, us the inspiration to uh, to do this. Well, good heavens. No, I had no idea. Um, <laughs> no idea. I, you know, <clears throat> anyone that listens to our podcast knows I'm a, a huge Anglophile and love all things British. And uh, uh, But I always consider uh, looking at our view, our listener numbers and, and viewer numbers, I always consider, you know, that the British, you know, they're a little lukewarm about me, right? Here's a Yankee talking about our sport, and I don't know how well that goes. I'm I'm a kind of a regular on uh, talk sport uh, uh, radio, and I always wonder, you know, how do the British feel feel about a Yankee come on and talking about their sport? You know, it's all those people in London, but um, uh, the idea that we would, you know, inspire a, a couple of British guys to do a podcast, no, it's uh, beyond me. But uh, I'm I'm very humbled by that, and uh, uh, that's terrific that you guys are doing it, and. Uh, uh, you have a great podcast and a great series, so congrats. Well, thank you. And enough mutual back patting. Um, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's great. Your dream at last. Yeah, I have. Um, it's, it's pathetic. I'm like a, a fanboy here. It's ridiculous. He is your number one fan. <laughs> uh, no, let's uh, let's talk about you know what, you know what's going on before we dive into the world of motorsport. And you know we're living in this crazy new world at the moment, which I seem to say at the beginning of every single podcast. But we are. Um, what's it like over where you are? Lockdown, semi-lockdown, coronavirus all this stuff how have you been getting on with it all yeah all great questions uh you know america it's um it, it, it's a big place um there's a, a a lot of territory um it, where i'm specifically located in the middle of america uh we don't have the the population centers like you would see in east coast uh, uh west coast so um probably not feeling quite uh, the number of COVID cases or, or the impact as the right and left coast. But certainly the, the lockdown was a huge impact, just like it was in the UK economically and all the events. Uh, my day job certainly impacted uh, by that as well with no live events, period. Uh, uh, so that's always a, an impact. And then, you know, to Tim's point, a little bit about um, – you know, there's a sense of coming out of that lockdown right now. I think the point, uh, uh, it's kind of funny. We had a, an event and, you know, the city and, and local uh, uh, community was like, you know, we all need to, to, to get out and march in mass to support this cause. And then, you know, everybody does that. And it's like, okay, now everybody get their butts back inside. There's a pandemic, you know, we're like, well, wait a minute, you know, we, we, we all just, you know, so yeah, I think it's just a lot of confusion. I think at this point, people are pretty much, um, the frustration, confusion, mm. everybody's ready to get this behind us yeah. and get back to racing, to be honest with you. Exactly. I think we're all so excited and, and you know, we've been filled with sort of virtual racing galore the last couple of months but it never comes quite close to the real thing which we're now you know uh, getting a taste of first of all have you been watching any of the virtual racing how have you found that yeah no guys i, I i've uh, i take a lot of a lot of incoming on this on our podcast uh, i'm not a fan of that i i feel yeah. like i'm sitting watching my daughters play a racing game <laughs> um you know it's just not you know they, the they same, get the 
No, it's not. I, you know, I, I, I appreciate it for what it is, but, um, and what they tried to do to create some content entertainment, mm. all of that's really good. I mean, that's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. It just, it's not my thing. Um, if I'm playing the game, then I'm all in, but, um, you know, sitting around watching a, a picture of George Russell hustle a car around a virtual track just doesn't do me because I know do it. I know what George Russell's really capable of, and that's what I want to see. You know, yeah. yeah. The thing is, yeah. of course, he has a car that can actually uh, do it when we get the season going again. And but obviously, we've had some Indy car racing recently as well. Mm. Back on uh, in Texas Motor Speedway, that was actually the first Indy car race I've seen in a while. And actually, you know, even though they do go around in circles, I was pleasantly uh, surprised and quite enjoyed. It wasn't the most entertaining race of all, but it was just actually just more than just nice to see actually cars on a track um what was your take on it yeah no you're exactly you're spot on harry it wasn't probably the most exciting indy car mm. race in the world but uh uh look at the <laughs> beggars can't be choosers this point <laughs> racing tra- I, I watched two nascar races already and you know that's <laughs> desperation a, that's a time <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like uh i just don't normally do that so uh uh yeah the indy car race was good i think i think um you know, we got to see a little bit about how they're approaching the sort of uh, uh, COVID issues and the paddock and how they're trying to protect the the paddock. Uh, we've seen that with NASCAR, too. So I think that there's uh, it's been interesting to juxtapose kind of how those two series have approached that and then try to extrapolate kind of what we think F1 will do in the paddock and how they'll control that. So I think that that's been interesting. Um, IndyCar bit of a love-hate relationship with IndyCar. Huge Champ Car fan, uh, or from the kart days. But um, uh, now that Penske's bought IndyCar, uh, I've met Roger three times and, you know, just could not meet a more delightful guy. Um, And he's committed to that, and I'm actually really excited about the trajectory of IndyCar. Harry, I'm like, I'm not a big fan of, of ovals. I'm just not. Mm. Um, that doesn't excite me. But um, where he's heading with the with the series, I think, is kind of exciting. So we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, if we could get some of the the series back to like the cart days, so that would be good. Yeah. It's it's uh it is interesting the the oval racing. I mean, it's hard for us to comprehend. I guess on this side of the pond, especially because we're we're just not used to it. I mean, I've watched watched a fair amount of IndyCar, and um, while it might not be always that that interesting, it is you've got to respect what they're doing mm. uh, and the bravery. And, and Harry and I were watching the documentary with Willie um, Ribs. Willie T. Ribs. Um, because we've right. got him coming on the show um, in the next few days. And some of the crashes that are in that documentary of, of people, you know, a small, a tiny little error on an oval and you're in the wall and you're, you know you're in trouble. Um, so the bravery around it is astonishing. But I, I agree, um, it's not the most interesting thing in the world outside of perhaps the Indy 500, which is something I can... And certainly watch from start to finish and enjoy every second of yeah the 500 is a different deal you know that's that's just a different element and um that's why when formula one raced at indy um wasn't a big fan of that formula one cars weren't meant to go 200 plus miles an hour next to a wall like that and um uh well you saw ralph schumacher you know had that crash back then mm-hmm. and, and was knocked unconscious so uh, very dangerous but the indy car the bravery there's there's nothing um there's nothing just uh, uh i guess uh, what's a, I'm trying to, lack of a better word is really, there's nothing easy 
about what they do and certainly a bravery. But when you're going 225 miles an hour around those ovals, I mean, the slightest error and it could be all over. And we've seen this time and time mm. with Dan Weldon and, yeah. and different people in form, or IndyCar. And so, yeah, the respect of the bravery has got to be there. Um, and that's an excitement, you know, mm, yeah. Um, yeah. that element of danger. But uh, but I really like the IndyCars when they do the road courses in Sonoma and Elkhart's, one of my favorites. So. Yeah, I love yeah. them. And actually, it was really interesting to see uh, for the first time the um, the aero screens that are Oof. going on mm. these IndyCars. And, and oh, I completely forgot that they were even a, become a thing because actually, you know, we yeah. had the whole halo thing, of course, the last couple of years right. with Formula One. Now, I, I don't bat I don't bat an island about them. No. I don't see them. I don't, you know, I I. I couldn't care less and you know I think they've been proved to have saved lives um, the aero screen however that can is see those. a lot more visible perhaps yeah. um, and but you know, I, I can get on board with it I don't know about you Ooh. yeah you know it it um, it well it's a Red Bull design right and mm. it was um it seemed a little, uh, just the shape of it was a little odd as compared to the overall flow of the IndyCar. It almost looked like it was sort of a bucket. You know, yes. instead of tapering in, it was like this, like almost like a bucket, you know? Doesn't look like it would be very helpful to the aerodynamics. Uh, no, it doesn't. I, you know, whether it's Halo or, or, or the aero screen, I, my thinking about it is, is certainly, um, I, I don't downplay the need for safety and all those issues, but the reality of it is I just feel like there's got to be a more elegant solution to this, you know? Mm. And I don't feel like we've got there yet. I, I, don't ask me what it is. I'm not an engineer. But, <laughs> but you know, it, yeah, the aero screen looks a little bulky, a mm. little clunky. Um, and never thought I'd hear myself say this, Harry, but it looks a lot more bulky or clunkily than a halo. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The halo was a nightmare. So, yeah, I was hoping they could come up with a little, something a little more elegant. I also wonder, IndyCar doesn't really apply because they're not racing in the rain quite like Formula One does and those kind of things. But when you have that that glass, if you have oil or spray or, or you know, yep. how the driver manages that. They need a little wiper, don't they? Just... But I suppose... Reach over and pull yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, uh, I guess in Formula One, at least they've, you know, while when the halo first came out, everyone was like, oh my God, this is the worst thing to happen to motorsport ever. You know, what a disaster. And, and then people quickly get used to it. But I suppose mm. the engineers in Formula One uh, are amazing and intelligent people. And and they've, they've made it look uh, pretty much as good as it can look. And it blends into the car quite nicely and like you say harry you barely notice it now and it's, it's sort of when you see a car now from a few years ago without one it's kind of sh sort of shocking to see um mm. but um let's talk formula one so obviously f1 is historically in the states not always been received that well um what got you interested in formula one um have you always been a fan is it a recent thing have you loved it since you were young where did this all come about yeah, great question. Um, I started uh, back in, oh gosh, I'm, I'm aging myself here. Uh, I hate to do that. I'm not young and full of energy like you two. Uh, <laughs> this goes back to like the early 70s when I was, I was real little though. <laughs> <laughs> not as little as us. I mean, we weren't even there. <laughs> yeah, right. You weren't there. Yeah. Uh, I, it was my dad. Uh, my dad uh, loved cars. He didn't, uh, he just loved cars. It's not necessarily like working on them and he wasn't a shade tree mechanic or anything, but he just liked cars. And so, um, he used to watch racing, and I remember watching Indy back then when I was really, really little and barely knew what was going on, let alone knew what my name was. Um, 
And I remember sitting on the couch uh, the first time, and I was very, very small, but I just remember the the imagery of this black and gold, like, wedge car that was driving around. It was a Lotus 72 with Emerson Fittipaldi and Mario Andretti. And I remember seeing it, like, at Monaco, I think, the streets of Monaco. Um, and so, if memory serves correctly, it was raining, and I, and I was just mesmerized by that. Now... My 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 love of all things UK goes all the way back then because I remember seeing those those cars. Now we used to watch Indy too, and uh, but there was something about Formula One that just seemed to be above everything else at the time. And growing up, it always seems to be. Uh, the racing series by which everything is measured. And I remember vividly, I was in um, with my parents on a trip and we were in Minneapolis and we went to this store and it was like a toy store in this walk around area in Minneapolis. And I walked in and there was this case and it said Corgi on it. And it happens to be a British toy company, right? And inside that case, they had the Lotus 72 and I still have it. Uh, it's on my bookshelf. And, uh, so I remember getting that as a little boy, I got the Lotus 72 and a Surtees, I think. And so I had these little Corgi uh, cars every once in a while, somebody will say, Oh, you know, that's cool. I got an old Corgi and they'll send it to me. But, uh, um, that was really the start. And then when I heard of V12, in particular, the Ferrari V12 and the Matra V12, that seemed to be otherworldly to me as a small boy. And from that time, I was hooked mm. uh, on Formula One. So, yeah, it's not a it's a bit of a circuitous route to Formula One uh, fandom, but uh, uh, because it's not as popular here. But that's kind of where I got my start. And Ferrari's your team, right? Yeah, I I've just always liked Ferrari. I, it's not that I, I mean, I like a lot of the times I like McLaren and, and Williams, obviously, and, and, uh, Mercedes and I Red Bull, what they've done is amazing. Yeah. There's always had that soft spot in my heart for, for Scuderia Ferrari because of the V12. And that's the first thing I remember seeing, uh, is those, uh, Lotus cars. And then those red cars looked awesome and they sounded awesome. And so I've always been a bit of a Ferrari fan. Is that your favorite era then, sort of the V12 era? My favorite era, I'm a bit of a romantic in that sense. It would be the 60s, late 60s. Um, yeah, that would be my my favorite. Mm. 68 in particular, favorite Formula One car is probably the Lotus 49 um, is my favorite. Uh, just It's just an epic car. Now, there's it, it, there's a lot you could go through. The 7-Up car was an awesome car. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so, but yeah, that's probably my favorite era in that time, uh, late 60s, early 70s. So when did that crossover come to setting up, you know, putting out Formula One content with, you know, the, the part Ferme? I know it wasn't originally called that. So, so talk us mm. through, you know, how that sort of came about. Yeah, um, so this was back in... 2005 because um back then everybody was either had one or starting to, to have a blog right and so i thought well i don't know everybody else is doing it you know maybe i should the, the impetus behind that here is really this it, it's self-serving and um shame it's shameful to say but there weren't a lot of sites to go talk about formula one um, and certainly as an American, um, and what sites there were, I won't mention names, but there's still a pub popular F1 publication now. They had forums. And so you would go into these forums 
And you get excited because you want to talk about Formula One. So you create an account and you would go in and then you would just get absolutely hammered and flamed by people in there because your post count was low. So you didn't know anything about Formula One. It was like, well, I've been watching it since the early 70s. No, you only got 20 posts. posts. What do you know about it? And I thought, wow, that's rude, <laughs> you know? And and I, and I got disheartened by trying to have conversations in these forums. And and then when they found out I was an American, it was like, well, you don't know uh, crap about yeah, it. Yeah, the perfect storm. <laughs> like, well, okay, that doesn't, I get it, I'm a Yankee, but I have been watching, you know, and I do take notes and pay attention. Um, and so then I thought, you know, this is silly because there's these people in these forums that that come across as being Delphic oracles of Formula One, and um, there needs to be a safe harbor for veterans and new fans alike. The idea is to bring new fans into the sport and, and get them attached to the sport for the reasons that we as veterans got attached to the sport. It wasn't just a race. It was it was the personalities. It was who these characters in the Formula One paddock were, the politics, the money, the technology. You know, once you get and, you know, you guys are British, you're around this every day. You know, your your daily publications carry Formula One news. They don't do that in the States. And so you have to really hunt it down in the States. Now, today it's much better, but back then it wasn't. So I decided to create a, a blog that was going to be a safe harbor for new fans and veterans alike, where we weren't going to uh, flame anyone. And we have one rule, which is decorum and civility. Disagree all you want, just no personal attacks. And thankfully, that's been resonant so long that I don't really have to police my own website because our community does that for us. And if someone comes in and flames or does a drive-by shooting, they'll say, hey, that's not how we roll here. Go somewhere else. Um and so that's why I created the the blog to begin with, is to really create a community that was a place where a new fan to Formula One could go and ask what they felt maybe a stupid question and not get flamed for it from a veteran who said, you're an idiot, you know. You would ask a question and, and a veteran would say, you know, that's a great question and here's why they do that, you know. It's a teaching and a learning moment. And our guys all along since 2005 has always been, and certainly since the podcast in 07, has always been we wanted to just be like two friends at a pub having a beer, talking about the sport they love. And we've said that back in 2005, and I know everyone says that now, um, and fair enough, but um, that is still kind of the vibe mm -hmm. that we have all these years later. So is that with Paul Charlesley back in those days still, or did you have a, a different setup, different people involved at the beginning? Yeah, great question. Uh, so initially, when I started the blog, it was wonderful because I was just posting stuff to myself. <laughs> And there was nobody reading it or, you know, looking at it. Um, and back, man, I mean, pros swam from my fingertips <laughs> like polywogs. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> the stuff I was writing back then was epic, yeah. Tim. I mean, it could have been Pulitzer stuff. Well, I mean, for an audience uh, of one, that audience loved it. Audience of one, I loved it. It was uh. awesome. Uh, no, eventually, uh, I, I remember I got my first comment. And it said, uh, it comment on a story and it said, by Grace, someone named Grace. And I thought, okay, this is like some 50-year-old dude in Nebraska acting like he's a woman. Yeah. Um, 
And so come to find out it wasn't. It was really Grace. Yeah. And she, uh, you know, this goes way back, but she wasn't married at the time. And and she, uh, I just found it amazing that she was into Formula One too. Um, and so she, she started commenting and we'd have these conversations. And I said, hey, do you want to help me author stuff at the website, you know? And she said, sure. So we started doing that. And then in 07, I said, everybody's doing a podcast. Why don't, why don't we do a podcast for the website uh, at the time, which was formula1blog.com? And she said, okay, great. And so it really, Tim, started with Grace. And then Paul, uh, I met Paul when his wife is from St. Louis. He lived in St. Louis uh, for a time. And I met Paul. I, w- I was the um, president of the St. Louis European Auto Show. I was the board president uh, for that organization. It was a charity. And we have every year a European auto show. And uh, so met Paul kind of through connections there. And then he came on board. And uh, the rest is history. Yeah, it's funny, because it, so 2007, you started the podcast. That mm. is for, from our side of the world, that is early, because I, I was gonna it, say, because I want I wanted to say, I've just written a dissertation for my uh, graduating university, a dissertation on radio drama and podcasts. And 2007, that must have been one of the first sort of particularly motorsport podcasts um especially independent mm. podcasts as well ever yeah Quite yeah but in the states they they're, they're they're much much bigger than here like we, we we're only just getting on board with podcasts here and there's loads popping up um even in motorsport now there's there's new motorsport podcasts coming out it seems like every week at the moment and some really big names doing them um but we're just catching up we're scratching the surface over here compared to the states where it's already such a big thing but in 07 we we were way we were nowhere near where the states is yeah that's interesting um the content podcast content here that's it's a big deal in the Mm -hmm. states and a lot of people digest it there's podcasts on everything and in 07 yeah there are very very few uh f1 podcasts (laughs) out there um and you know it was um it was sort of a why not let's give it a shot um everything we've done on the website and I don't mean this as arrogance at all, so please don't take it this way, but everything we've done on the website has just been a white hat strategy. I've never bought a link. I've never paid for content. Uh, I've never gamed the system. Our podcast has, what, over 400 reviews, and they're all, you know, four or five-star reviews. That's all organic. I've never, you know, paid for reviews. I've never done any of that uh, because it's not my day job, guys, Mm. and so I don't have time to sit around and strategize on on how to artificially prop up my website or podcast. I just don't have time to do it. Yeah. So it's it's all been blood, sweat, and tears, and uh, a very forgiving wife at the amount of time that mm-hmm. I spend uh, doing this night job, if you will, on top of my day job. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's grown. Um, depending on what's happening, we can run between sixty-five and 80,000 downloads a month. I think we're over 6 million total downloads. That's amazing. And, uh, we're well over 700 podcasts if you consider our F1 downshift, um, our downshift ep- episodes, which are our interview episodes that we do as well. So, um, yeah, and I just started a new uh, one called TPF Stories. And, and um, so, yeah, there's podcasts are, are pretty big now. Um, 
And, uh, you know, there's much bigger F1 podcasts than us. Um, you know, I didn't, uh, like I said, it's not my day job. Had I focused and, and really done that exclusively, then maybe we'd be bigger, but uh, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's look at some um, some recent F1 news then. So um, yeah. I'm interested to get your thoughts on what's going on at Williams. Um, mm. So, you know, Claire is getting a lot of heat from every mm. angle, some fair, some not so fair. Um what do you put it down to and how do you see this ending up? Oh, that's a really big question, Tim. Um, and you should definitely have the answer to it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I wish I did. I'd, I'd send Claire an email and tell her, but uh, um, yes. So she has taken a lot of incoming and, and I've been critical um, not of Claire personally, because I, I like Claire. I think, you know, she's done uh, uh, as good a job as she can with the resources she has. Um, the thing that's hurting Claire is the business model of Formula One. That's what's hurting Claire. Um, it's If you go back and look at Williams, Williams, a long time ago, many, many years ago, um, most of the team started relying on the prize money of Formula One as their main revenue stream instead of big title sponsors. So when the marketing uh, really kind of evaporated and the tobacco money left, Williams always found a way to try to keep the balance sheet black, keep everybody's paycheck coming and make it a tidy business that they could all work in, irrespective of if they were winning and charging for championships or not. And even when they were, you know, the with BMW or whatever it might be, um, the challenge is really when they redid the Concord Agreement to get the top teams to sign in and the business model changed that. They were reliant on the prize money. And as you get into that death spiral of, of points and finishing seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth in the championship, and then the delay on that payout over two and three years, it becomes untenable. Um, so they have to start trying to find other ways to make money. Um, I think she's navigated that as, as best she could, finding investors. Total Wolf was one of them. Now Latifi's one of them. They're trying to find ways to keep things uh, solvent and keep that team going forward. But that's really her biggest enemy. Now, on the flip side of that is you've got to try a lot of things. And when your team's doing really poorly, you don't fire the whole team. You fire the coach. And I think in Claire's case... I was advocating, look, move her up. Don't kick her out. Don't move her down. Move her up to take her dad's place as mm. sort of the executive over that team. But go find an Andreas Seidel. You know, go find a person that can come in and just change the energy of the team. You know, if, if, if what you're trying isn't working and the business model is killing you, go find someone else. And I, maybe they were thinking they were going to get that with Patty Lowe, and that mm. didn't pan out clearly. Um but I think, I that's what the, I was. Yeah, the thing ahead. might be with with that, what, what I've sort of gathered anyway, and you know, what do I know? But uh, Claire Williams very much seems to be, as you know, it's inherent clearly in the Williams family. They are a racing family. She wants to be uh, on the ground, on hands on, you know, doing everything, mm, front being and still, and moving that position up. Yes, it's probably you know, it looks nicer on paper, and she probably mm. you know actually probably have a bit of an easier time of it. It's probably her own her own sense of racing blood that you know makes her a bit uh, absolvent of wanting to move on 
Yeah, and I'm sure that plays a large part of it. There's such a rich, rich history in that. I've I've asked a question before of our community. Um, do you feel there's a difference between Frank Williams, who is a pure racer at heart? There is there a difference between being a pure racer like Frank and the daughter of a pure racer, right? Is she as motivated? And as steeped in the racing that he is, is does it drive her heart the way it did his? You know? Yeah, I mean, unrelenting it, from Frank's point. It's probably it's probably not quite the same. And and I mean, she would have been around motorsport since day dot all her life. You know, yeah. so she obviously knows the paddock inside out. She knows the business inside mm-hmm. out. But she's I don't know. Has she got that steely? It, determination, business acumen, and drive to be able to steer a ship like Williams is is open for debate, and a lot of people don't think she does. Her brother, some people thought he did, um, and you know, should it have been the other way around? Um, it's a difficult one because I, I feel, on one hand, I feel really, really sorry for her. Like she really, mm. you probably see the press, um, you know, you follow the UK press, and and social media twitter in particular you know as soon as someone says what's up with williams it just goes claire bashing non-stop yeah so i do yeah. i do feel sorry for her um but I, my gut feeling is that a bit like you i feel like she needs to step aside move up take a more some other position and someone hardcore you know whether it's a like a i don't know gunter steiner type character who's just mm-hmm. gonna break some balls and you know grab it by the horns and turn the whole thing around i don't know but it feels like it needs fresh impetus um to change the atmosphere at that team um but it's just such a shame you know the biggest thing Mm. is it's just such a pity to see a team like williams like this and hopefully they get the investment that lets them keep going as williams and and they i'm interested i I don't know i might have missed this i haven't seen a reason as to why rocket are no longer their title sponsor didn't pay because it sounds like williams is very much terminated that not the other way around it's it stopped very quickly yeah i i haven't seen an explanation of that this my guess is that the checks didn't show up. yeah I think why so. else would you terminate with immediate yeah. effect a sponsorship it's and, weird uh, but my other thing my other question was rocket i i have never heard of them before they've come out of nowhere it seems and they like rich energy much yeah yes well i did see on twitter i don't know how real it is but i did see uh, a yeah. rich energy branded Classic. williams 2020 car yeah. um so <laughs> wait and see on that one That's so rocket, rocket also sponsor a lot of a lot of junior formula w series in the uk you know w series they've been sponsoring um uh, virtual racing yeah. as well and they you know they've gone mad and they came out some cash they came out recently with a tweet um which Catherine bond muir who we've had on the podcast uh shared um about um them saying we are dedicated to the w series you know we're here for the long haul you know it's a, you know you sort of think hmm, there's a bit, bit of pr's been going on here um, yeah, after the williams some sort of fallout maybe uh, you know maybe they just feel like they want to go in a different direction and williams isn't the direction they want to go in. I, you know, it, it would be concerning to, if it is a case of sponsors saying, we're going to go with the W Series, we're going to go with Formula E, we're going to go with yeah. uh, junior categories uh, because Formula One isn't delivering the type, the type of product that's yep. really helping our brand. That's a concern. Yeah, yeah. No, 100%. Yeah. yeah, no, totally agree. Yeah. Um, okay, 
cost cap. Let's talk about that. So mm. um, cost cap is being brought in. Great. $145 million, probably down to $135 million by the time they finish with it from 2023 onwards. Um, how much of an impact do you think this will have on uh, F1? And and also give us your thoughts on the aerodynamic changes that are coming in and whether you think that's going to improve the show. Yeah, so cost caps, I think, are, are um, yeah, I think it will be a big impact. I think it's going to be very difficult to manage, I think, and, and to monitor. Um, I it, it would not surprise me uh, to see over the next few years someone caught sort of flouting <laughs> the cost cap yeah. in some way, be it, you know, just disingenuous or by accident. Um, how the FIA on one side says we don't have enough resources to have a consistent uh, stewarding crew that does every race, but then on the flip side says but we do have enough resources to plow through the P&Ls of every single team and manufacture and really pick the fly poop out of the pepper on this and really figure out who's spending where, right? And I think, okay, wait a minute, time out. Time out, folks. That, it's not making sense. Um, I don't know how they're going to do that with efficacy because this year was supposed to be the test year where they were going to test mm-hmm. that. Uh, maybe they still will, uh, but it's not a full season, so it's hard to know. But here's the change that I think is interesting around the cost cap. So what my concern was is that they were going to usher in the cost cap, but with non-cost capped budgets to create the new car. And that was a concern for me because already Mercedes has a baked in advantage from a power unit standpoint. And, you know, you could argue chassis too. So if they were unfettered and the amount of money they could spend on the new regulation changes, and then they do the cost cap, well, then we've got a car that has had hundreds of millions spent in development that now will last the whole cost cap era. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I had issues with that. Mm -hmm. The changes with all the pandemic is that they've pushed all that back. And now the new car is going to be designed the bulk of it with a cost capped in tow. And I think that'll be the biggest impact. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting. And then on the aero front, we've got, um, we've seen the renders of the new, the new car, uh, got rid of all these silly little bits and pieces hanging off wings yeah. and whatever else. Um, cleaner cars, cleaner air, uh, more ground effects, closer racing should be good. <laughs> I have your word on that. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, uh, yes, uh, we had been advocating for quite some time on the arrow. This is like the elephant in the room for everyone, right? Um, Not not because there isn't good reasons, because if the three of us owned a team, the, the least expensive place for the three of us to make bigger gains in lap times is through aero development. So, of course, we want to keep that there and we want to continue with that aero development. It's a black art. Maybe the three of us would hire Adrian Newey, so yeah. we've got a leg up. And so that makes sense. I'm just saying, when, if, we, if we've got this money that we will be working together, how about we just buy Williams and take them to the top? Oh, there you go. Um, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, so I feel I feel like the arrow, what we've said all along is, the arrow is the dark art, but it also is a rabbit trail that we've gone so far down uh, that it's impacting the racing. And everyone knows this. It, it, Ross Braun, everyone knows this. So what we were saying is, look, no one wants a spec series, 
but pick the front wing or the back wing. We don't care. Make it a spec wing. You don't have to make it a spec car. Just make it a spec wing. Reduce the downforce by 70%. You can't crank on a ton of you know downforce on a front wing if the if the rear wing isn't delivering you've got to balance the car so if you did that it automatically neuters this arrow and it seems in some part that's what this new arrow regulation is it's reduced arrow downforce on the wings uh, more fluid uh, trying to lock down a lot of the arrow impact and development areas so we'll see i tell you if you consider that they're successful at this and that they reduce the arrow, you know, substantially, then it should produce better racing. And more in particular, uh, that dirty air and should allow those cars to follow closer. Yeah. Uh, fingers crossed. Yeah, touch wood. I mean, we, we've spoken to a lot of racing drivers about it um, uh, that have come on the show. And the general feeling is that it's a positive move. So I, I think, you know, touch wood, yeah. it will have some closer racing. I mean, I, I'm not that... <laughs> Uh, Formula One gets such a, a bad rep, doesn't it? And we all look back at, we've talked about this with others, we've looked back at the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and rose-tinted glasses and look at the racing back then and think how wonderful it was and how terrible it is now. But we get some good battles now. When you look at when Rosberg was against Hamilton and some of the you know the races they had in Bahrain and stuff, it's incredible racing. So I think we're always a bit bit down on F1. But you know if this if this makes it even more exciting, then, then great. Mm. I agree. I don't know that that's a – I'm 100% behind you on that. I don't think that's necessarily fair. I'm not quite sure. I've been watching for a long time, and I'm not quite sure when the sentiment developed that any one of those cars should be able to win on Sunday. Mm. That's never been Formula One. No. You know, and it's rarely ever been racing in, in total, you know. Uh I, I don't believe that any one of the cars has to be able to win and that there should be, uh, you know, some sort of parity of all of the cars or at least all of the outcomes, the potential outcomes that a Williams should be able to win a race against a Mercedes. Um, so I don't believe that. I think where we are right now and, and what we're seeing is a reaction because you have such clear domination by Mercedes. And you say, well, Ferrari had domination, Red Bull. Yeah, not like this. Mm. This is going on, what, seven years? Mm. So the reason for that wow, is, yeah. is really the hybrid. And the hybrid is the one that brought everyone to its knees. It bankrupted three teams. It's, it's, un, it's not affordable. Um, and it really needs to be changed. Yeah. And it, that's what we're really pressing back against. Um, everyone has an asterisk next to Vettel's name over his championship because he had the best car. Everyone has an asterisk around Schumacher because he has the best car. What are we going to say about Lewis? Mm. That engine has, has had a baked-in advantage since 2014 and has dominated everything by a mile. So, um, you know, that's what we're pushing back against. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, for sure. There's be more than yeah. one team that can win. Yeah. The thing I, I would like to see, and I, I know I always look back to, you know, 2010, 11, when we had, you know, Caterham at Lotus and uh, um, HRT and Marussia Manor. It's such a, you know, when you look at the cost cap now and, and bringing in the hybrid, it's such a shame to lose those three teams because, you know, mm. steeped in, in, you know, all of the people there had such big names working. And you know, we talked uh, to Karun Chandok about his Hispania racing days. And he was saying, you know, we had such great people as part of the team. We had the guys who are now working for Mercedes who are taking them to championships. You just think, God, what could have been, eh? But yeah. um, what I want to suggest is 
your point on, you know, not having every team being up for a win on Sunday, you know, there is the argument where, oh, it'd be way more exciting. You know, oh my God, is it going to be a Mercedes? Is it going to be a Williams? Can Kevin Magnussen and the Haas put it, you know, on pole? God, I don't know. But then what arguably perhaps is more interesting is take Mercedes before 2014. They were very much a midfield team. You know, and they really hadn't, you know, they had, I suppose, Braun were the precursor to it, had that one-off championship with Jensen Button. And then really with Rosberg and Schumacher, just a bit, you know, know, they were there. You know, P7 was a pretty good, you know, it was pretty standard for them. They were just ahead of, you know, just ahead of the main midfield. What they've done in that team, having developed that car and taken it to world championship heights, surely that is what we want to see more of. We want to see a team like, you know, Racing Point, Aston Martin, develop and become a top-tier team and, and see that development. Is that more interesting or do we just want to see point blank 20 cars, 24 cars, I would like to see, racing uh, for the win on, on Sundays? What's better? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, if you consider the time it took... Mercedes to go from being bought out from Honda to Braun to Mercedes and then the trajectory mm. uh, to the success that they made, what was that, six, seven years, right? Very parallel to what it took uh, Red Bull when they bought uh, their team. And it yeah. took them about six or seven years to get to that point of winning four titles in a row. So you can see this sort of trajectory. And the question that we have then is two different concepts in the sense that Mercedes did it with the full might and resources of a manufacturer. Red Bull did not. So Red Bull did it with the genius of their uh, all the people that work for that team, including Adrian Newey. And then we get to the, the hybrid and it instantly neuters them. Mm. Gone. Couldn't recover. You could have a phalanx of Adrian Newey's at that team. Wasn't ever going to get them back up in beating Mercedes. That's the problem. So could we see, and the big question was, Haas do something similar as a privateer, right? To your point, Harry, what I would like to see, because it's not that every car has a chance to win, it's the dynamic between toppling the giant, right? It was when Renault beat Ferrari, you know, when Alonso beat Schumacher at Ferrari and took those two titles. It's uh, when McLaren was dominant and Ferrari finally beat them in 2000. Mm. Um, It was when Red Bull came in and won and then Mercedes. So it's who can bring Mercedes down or who can, you know, fight against them. And right now it it looks like it's got to be a manufacturer. And I would hope that it wouldn't have to be a manufacturer, you yeah. know, that it could be a Red Bull, a uh, a racing point, um, a privateer that could do that. And maybe the cost cap will get us there. Yeah. 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 Now, listen, um, we're going to move on to uh, the lighter part, but the most important part of today's show, Todd. This is where we test your knowledge against the great and good of motorsport that we've interviewed over the last <laughs> year or so. So I shall pass right. over to my illustrious colleague to introduce you to the Motormouth Quiz. Yes, Todd, Q sound track. Welcome to Motormouth, the hardest quiz in motorsport. We've had over, I think, near, nearing on 30 people take part in this now. Um, there are 13 points up for grabs. Uh, and uh, basically, it's all to do with... Uh, the quiz changes each week, so there's no consistency whatsoever. Um, so it's either based around, around people and their careers or racing driver and team radio, and that is what I've chosen for you. I've got various clips from Formula One that over the years, uh, different years, different uh, incidents, different moments, and I want you to tell me what's going 
going on about them. And then there's a bonus question at the end. So uh, we're going to play you a clip and then I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions about it. And it's uh, what, three points up for grabs for each clip. Is that understood? <laughs> I think so. And I, I'm expecting... Going for a goose egg. <laughs> I'm expecting <laughs> full marks. I'm a Yankee. No, so, you know, uh, listen, everyone's I, got some excuse. I, I've, listened, uh, <laughs> I've listened to hundreds of your podcasts, so I'm expecting serious, seriously impressive F1 knowledge here, and, and you'll uh, shatter my dreams and fanboy status if you come last. Oh, man. Paul is much better at this. Than <laughs> yeah. Come on, let's test your knowledge. Let's play clip number one, please. Here we go. I am stupid. I am stupid. I switch off everything. That's all you get. So, who is that? Oh, hold on. I remember that. Um... That sigh is never a good sign <laughs> on a question. <laughs> it's not a good sign. <laughs> it's not right, a again. Good sign. We'll play it to you again if you want. Is that uh, Charles Leclerc? Yes. Boom. One point in the bag. Well yeah. done. That is Charles Leclerc. What's, what's he uh, talking about? What's he upset over? Tough bit. Uh... He, uh, yeah, he, 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 yeah, he spun it off the island, didn't he? And he was mad about that. Mm, there was a crash. Yes. Yeah. Where? Um. Think about this. <laughs> you, you want it one more time? Yeah. Here it comes. I am stupid. I am stupid. I switch off everything. It doesn't really help, does it? No. Um, it was earlier in the season, I think. What, what year do you think we're talking here? Um, was it Germany? I'm afraid no. not. <laughs> uh, uh, can you give me a year? Last track to get a year. Oh, um, let's see. That was... Um, I think it was, was it last year? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, you've recovered there with a point. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was Leclerc crashing in the castle complex in Baku. That's in Baku, yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes, yes. Okay. But you know what? Could have been, could have been awful. Solid, Solid. start. Two Solid. Three points on that one. Hmm. Yeah. Um, let's get clip number two. Here we go. <laughs> That's a horrible noise. I can't play that again because the noise is so ear piercingly horrible. That's a really hard one. Who do you think yeah, that is? I remember it. Um, I just don't remember who said it. Uh, well, okay, so uh, it's the questions are who is it, uh, what are they, you know, shouting about, and what year? Um, that's a really good one. <laughs> that was. Uh, I do try. <laughs> oh man, you've stopped me. Yes. Uh, it was recent. Yeah, I was it last year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Point, point in the bag. 2019. Um, was it for a podium position? Yes. And uh but 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 oh man. I remember 
Is it Carlos Sainz? Oh, oh no, you're Roman so... Roman Grosjean. No. No, uh, but French. <laughs> oh. Uh, it was Pierre It's Pierre Gasly. Yeah, Gasly. Brazil. Yeah. I'll give you two points for that one. Uh, generous, Consistent. very generous. Uh, yeah, that Everyone watching is like, oh, you're an idiot. You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's like we always say in the podcast when Grace or Paul and I are trying to remember something and people are driving, pounding on the steering wheel. <laughs> Literally. Such an idiot, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh well, well done. He had a pretty uh, torrid year, but saved it at the end. Well, you're already oh, yeah, level. Yeah. You're level with Corinne Chandok now, right? You're level with Corinne Chandok so right now. Yeah, he, he's 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 slap bang bottom of the leaderboard. So uh, actually, you're ahead of him. You're ahead of him, so you oh, can't good. finish last. Um, so that's good. Okay, this uh, is clip number three. Have a little listen to this. I think there's nothing to discuss. You know, it's quite obvious incident. Um, in the end, it was very uh, disappointing for myself. I think even more because I was the one who, who just um, were driving and he lost control of his car and crashed in my back. So it was not my problem, it was his problem. I don't know why he's freaking out like that, to be honest. If you want, I can show you some pictures. So probably, I don't know if you're blind, but I can clearly show you that my front wing is next to your front wing. So that's... Uh, yeah, but you're trying to overtake me outside on the curbing, you know. There was on the curbing. <laughs> Ooh, that's Now, this is uh, going back a little, a yeah. little way. Yeah. What are we thinking? Who's two, who are the two? You can hear two voices there. So two drivers. Who are, uh, who's talking? What are they talking about? And uh, what year? One of these chatted up my wife, by the way. One of these really? is uh, yeah. one of these didn't you know had a bit of a dodgy end to his uh, career, especially yeah. outside of Formula One. Same guy, same guy that chatted up my mm. wife. Mm. Yeah, before she was my wife, before we even knew each other, so it's, it's fine. <laughs> um, that's a really good one. One of them's German. <laughs> yeah, it's a curbing. The other one has his own wine. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I've tried it. It's good. Is it burger? Nope. No, uh, more modern than that. Is it? Um, mm, more modern German. I get to play my countdown. Here we go. Yeah, go for it. Is it Hulkenberg? No. Oh. Oh. I have yeah. no idea. So that was. Uh, give me a give me a year. Just any year. See if you can get a point. Um. 2000, I mean, the right decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, 14. Oh, oh. not. Okay, so I'll put you out of your misery. That was Adrian Sutil and <gasps> Yano Truly at the Abu Dhabi press conference, but they were talking about a crash that they had had at the previous round in Brazil, uh, where basically Truly lost it all and went straight into the side in his Toyota of uh, Adrian Sutil's Toyota in 2009. Oh, so I should have out, known it was so the press conference. Yeah, he Adrian, would shiv you with an uh, with a champagne flute. It, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Uh, yeah, he he did. He, no, he never went to prison, did he? But he got out. No, uh, no, no. I don't think so. But he, he, got, he had he a got whole court case. Yeah. yeah, I think, and there was a whole thing about Lewis Hamilton not turning yeah, up. Yeah, he they was were not like, happy mates. with Lewis. Lots yeah. of drama there. So truly was well, the one that has Adrian Sutil. Truly is the one that has his own wine. He truly has wine, and that was the that would have been the first Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, two thousand and nine. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, interesting story about AJ Stoll. So I did wonder what had happened to him after Formula One because mm-hmm. he sort of just, he had that, he left for India, had a year with Sauber, and then I think he was even the reserve for Williams for one year. Yeah. Didn't right. do anything. And then just slipped off the face of the earth. And I was like, well, he had a pretty decent career. Whatever happened to him? He's just want to lay low. Did he do DTM? No, he didn't. He has never raced in anything since. And I was like, no. what's he doing now? I don't see him on any broadcasters. And I am certain, okay, I don't know how 100% this is, but I'm certain I was once uh, on uh, Oxford Street in London and I saw him walking. So he's in London, is hmm. what I'm saying. We should That's hunt him down. That's all I got on him, I'm afraid. Nothing hmm. that great. But I wonder I'm what he's sure. doing. He's a wonderful piano player, by the way. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's a, just terrific. Maybe he's a musician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Might be a model as well. He always sort of yeah. has a steely look. He's a good looking man, to be fair. Anyway, zero points, I'm afraid, on that uh, one, Todd. But you have one more clip to try and redeem yourself. Redemption. Let's play it. Okay. Right, here we go. Clip number four. Uh, Austria. Martin was like frothing for it. So <laughs> I was like, I, f- I feel like there's some real sick bastards around here. <laughs> right, who's talking there? That's Dan. Yes. Absolutely. What's he talking about? Uh, I don't remember that comment. Um, ah. It's clearly Daniel, but... What, what, what year do you think it might be? Was that two years ago? What year are we in now? 20, close. Mm, one more. <laughs> Was it three? Yeah, three. 17. Was he talking about a shoey? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. He's speaking uh, at a presser about doing the shoey uh, on the podium and getting Brundle to do it uh, That's in Austria. It. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you the point for that. I'll give you half a point for the year. Yeah, two and a half uh, for that one. So we'll give you two and a half on that one. Okay, right, Top bonus question for you. Oh, bonus. Bonus one for another point, an extra point. If you if you get this, you are an F1 genius. Yeah, if you do get this, it's difficult. How many points did Nico Rosberg win the 2016 title by? That is That is hard. So how many points did he win it by? And I think ballpark is okay. Yeah, ballpark is fine. Oh, I have to think about that one. That was... Detention. Was 10 points? Oh, good effort. Very good effort. Harry? Good effort. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you half a bonus point. Fair. It was six. He won it by six. Oh, I was going to say eight, and then I thought, oh, well, I maybe more it was inclined. a race win. Yeah, I would have been more inclined remember. to give you a full point for that. But no, he yeah, won with much. 385 points, and Hamilton was on 300 and... Um, uh, oh, no, I've got that wrong. 386 yeah. and 380. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, okay, wait, let me do the maths. See what company you're in. <laughs> okay. Right. So we have two leaderboards. <laughs> we have the overall leaderboard, and then we have the season three leaderboard. Overall leaderboard, Todd, you have collected seven points out of a possible 13, which puts you in 21st position, just above broadcasting legend Steve Ryder and just below British touring car uh, driver Tom Chilton. So, you know, decent names to be around with. Uh, and that does put you on the season three leaderboard in 10th position out of, <laughs> uh, what are we on, 12 now. Oh. So, uh, oh. you know, could have been better, could have been worse. I'd say that was a job yeah, you, well done. You know, with that kind of motorsport mileage, I should start a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> pretty well, well, thank you, uh, for playing Motormouth. Yeah. Well done. It was, a, it was a solid effort. Who, who was 11th in season three? 
on the leaderboard? Um, Tom Chilton and uh, Steve Ryder. Oh, Steve Ryder. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Solid. Solid effort. It's sort of a bit, bit of a better than Williams, but not as good as Force India Racing Point. No, whatever the hell they're called. On a Torosso. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, Todd. What does the future hold for the Part Fermi? What What are the plans moving forward? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I wish I could tell you. You know, it's not my day job. So, um, and it takes a lot of time, and it takes a lot of resources uh, to do what it is we do. And, um, uh, you know, my hope is, you know, I always, I, we always went at it as, uh, you know, in the early days, uh, you, you know, people say, oh, well, this podcast and this, I, I am so busy. I don't have time to listen to, to other podcasts and certainly not my own podcast. And, um, and I, you know, I take, I take flack for that. I take some incoming for that, but, um, it's, it, and it's not personal. It's just that I don't have time. It's, it's not my day job. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, the idea for us is just creating some more kind of content that we think our community wants. Um, you know, it's weird. I, I you know, people would say, that if they do this for a living, like you guys, you guys have this podcast, you do this for, you know, uh, your main thing, and this is what you guys do, and it's awesome. Um, oh, we're the same as you. This is, this is uh, weekends and evenings. We've, we've both, yeah, go. yeah, yeah, we're the same, so, exactly the same. So you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's difficult to say, okay, who's your listener community? It's a little difficult to know. I can look globally. We're listened to globally. There's no doubt about it. And the UK is the second largest listenership uh, behind America. So, um, you know, I think we just try to find new ways to have new content that, that really speaks to our community. We've always said that we're fans talking about the sport. Uh, we've never pretended to be F1 media and press in that sense. Uh, yes, I've had FIA creds. Yes, I've been in the paddock several times um, and I met a lot of the people, but we always do it with a sense of reverence because what we really represent is the fans and that's always been who we were. And so uh, I think in the future for Park Fame, it's a uh, trying to come up with new and compelling content that really speaks to our fans and helps them unpack or enjoy the sport that we all love so much. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and I presume you're not going to change your name again. F1 are not going to come knocking on your door and say, listen, Todd, uh, you're going to, yeah. you got to get rid of that. That's a funny story. Yeah, so it was FormulaOneBlog.com for years, years, since 2005. And uh, and a few years ago, I got a cease and desist letter from the uh, lawyers at Formula One. Fair enough. You know, I didn't overreact, but uh, reached out to a friend of mine, uh, uh, Chris, who knows uh, Bernie Eccleston, and uh, was talking to Chris about it. And he says, well, let me ask Bernie about it. This is silly. You guys have carried water for Formula One a long time with no benefit to yourself. He said, let me talk to him. So he did. And so Bernie said, yeah, you know what? That, that's silly. He said, um, it, you know, we'll probably, the domain, we probably need to get the domain, but then we'll just do a, a, like a dollar a year lease for the domain, you know, just, inter, you know, just internally, just continuing forever. And um, so that's what we did. And we worked out a deal uh, with Bernie. Bernie doesn't know me. He's never met me, didn't have any idea who the heck I was. And he did that deal with us. And so it was great. And so we had full license by Bernie Eccleston to use FormulaOneBlog.com. Then Liberty Media, an American company, buys FormulaOneBlog.com. Uh, and at the end of that year for renewal, they said, yeah, we're not renewing it. No. <laughs> oh, no. It's like, oh, 
Thank you. Well yeah. done. I had Bernie Eccleston, the guy who people love to vilify, who couldn't have been more delightful about it. And then the Americans buy it and shut me down in a heartbeat. So we had to change the name. But frustrating oh, no. because that, I suppose, with with a name comes a, a footprint, like a, a digital footprint that yeah, you lose. For so sure. it's it's a big impact on you know organizations it's a like huge us. Huge impact to us, and it, and it radically impacted us and our on our listenership, our viewership, our site visits, the whole thing. Um, yeah. It was very difficult to recover from, but you know, it is what it is. I didn't argue. It has Formula One in our name, and I get it. I understand. So I, you know, and it's not that Liberty were rude. They weren't rude about it. They were fine. They just said, you know, it's just not a, a place we want to go. And you know, understandably, now they have their own podcast and they have their own things going on. So fair enough. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, a few quick fire questions at you, Todd. Current favorite F1 driver. Current. Yeah. Current. Um, that is hard. Um, it's hard not to like Lewis, hard not to Max Verstappen is amazing. Mm. Um, I tend to like the human story. I, I get frustrated when we dehumanize people by forcing them into groups and saying, well, you know how F1 drivers are. No, not really, because Esteban Ocon has a markedly different story than Charles Leclerc. And I tend to like those stories uh, about Ocon and Alex Albon. I think he's got such a cool story of uh, struggle and coming through and and to achieve what he's had. Lewis is the same. Um, Yeah, I think I'm kind of intrigued by those. I don't know. It's tough. I've met Sebastian Vettel three times, and the guy couldn't be a nicer guy and I really like Seb a lot uh, but right now I think Max is kind of exciting me a little bit um, yeah it's it's a hard question Harry it's hard to I'm sure it's the same <laughs> for you guys you like them all I mean who's how can you not like Daniel Ricciardo yeah you know? I have one yeah. driver that no one will ever ever eclipse and is the best in my mind it's Paul, Paul DeResta PDR I love oh. PDR thank you another person oh. loves PDR PDR oh. is awesome it, oh, that's Sky you. Sports <laughs> broadcast God, don't I encourage him so much less without PDR and his insight I hope you're not to being driving. sarcastic no I'm not at all no no him and Aunt Davidson make yeah. that broadcast and Ted Kravitz. I happen to be a big Ted Kravitz. Fan. Oh, but yeah, of course. But yeah. PDR, I'll, I'll, I'll admit he was a bit, a bit sportsman-y, rough around the edges when he first started broadcasting, but they've obviously done some training with him and I think he's brilliant yeah. and he should have had a much, much better Formula One career and it wasn't his fault either. <laughs> you hang on to that because I have always, people laugh at me because I was always a Nick Heidfeld fan. Oh, God, yeah. And people are like, oh, my gosh, Nick Heidfeld fan. But uh, so hang on to that because PDR, that's uh, – I like PDR. He's awesome. Honestly, the day we get him on this podcast, I don't know if I'll even be able to talk to him. Um. <laughs> He's a great guy. Oh, dear. Um, two of my favorite racetracks, um, Spa or Silverstone, which one would you take if you could only pick one of those? Um, well, here I'm representing, uh, of course, Silverstone. No, I – I'm talking to two British guys uh, about Silverstone. I got to be honest with you guys, Spa. Oh, yeah, no, that's fair. It's fair. It's people would always ask me, you know, well, you know, you probably really want to go to Monaco. And I'm like, no, I want to go to Spa, you know. Um, uh, There's something magic about that. And uh, Paul's brother, who's been in motorsport his entire life and uh, works at Multimatic, uh, super good guy named Steve uh, Paul on, on our podcast. And he once, we were talking about Spa, and he put it best. He said, 
the reason it's such a great track is it is perfect in its imperfections. You know, it's not a Tilka track, the Eau Rouge and everything about it. It's imperfections are what makes it perfect. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a great track. I interviewed Brian Redman. Are you familiar with who Brian Redman is, uh, British sports car driver? No? No, I probably should be. Yeah. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, you guys definitely check Brian Redman out. Uh, Brian Redman raced in the Halcyon days in the 60s and 70s. He was a fantastic sports car driver uh, in British motorsport. And he would tell me, and when I interviewed him, he said, Jackie Stewart's got it wrong. He says the Green Hell is the toughest, most uh, scary track on on the circuit. The he goes, it was Spa. Yeah. He says, because the speeds were so much faster. He said, I would lay and shake and sweat all night before a race at Spa. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, and I, th I think yeah, I, I'm fortunate enough to have been to the Belgium Grand Prix a few times and, and stood up at the top of Eau Rouge and watching cars go through there is unbelievable. Yeah, and actually, to your point about the green hell, um, when Tom Chilton, the British touring car driver, was on here, um, we were quizzing him about the Nordschleifer and, the, and all that stuff. And he said, actually, yes, it's a terrifying place to race and you're on the edge. But because of the flow of it, he, he the way he put it, and we took the piss out of him a little bit, but you know, he's right to a degree, is that the car almost drives itself round. It's so flowy like you know you sort of mm. flow from one to the next you go around these sort of banking corners and the car kind of takes itself um mm -hmm. so um so i'm with you there um no good answer um i'm curious about um we've seen you strumming away on your guitar on your socials you're obviously quite a talented uh, musician the there background of your, uh, of your screen there. yeah yeah quite yeah. a collection yeah it's quite yeah, quite impressive um but what are you crap at what are you useless at oh God. how long do we have yeah um <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what I'm bad at. I'm bad at shamelessly promoting my website and podcast. Do it. Now's the, now's the time. Do it. I know. Well, it's, I'm, I'm just, I feel so, I don't know, weird when I do it. You know, I've tried before to post in, you know, like a podcast come out and I'll post on social media when it comes out. And then I'll post it like, you know, a day later or whatever. And I get people, yeah, you already posted it. It's like, <laughs> okay, you know. Everyone else does it. They post the crap out of yeah, it. Like my yeah. timeline, I see, you know, constantly everybody's posting the same thing, promoting their stuff. I do it and I take personal offense when someone gets mad at me for doing it. So, you know, I just, uh, yeah, I'm really bad at that. Um, I don't like bigging myself up like that and I don't um, – I've really dropped the ball on. It is. I've really dropped the ball on that because people say, you know, you have over 700 podcasts, you know, and um, and we do. But I don't know. I just, yeah, that, I'm crap at that. <laughs> I think when you get to a thousand, you'll have to do something special because that, that, yeah. that, that's a lot. Not that many people. I mean, how many podcasts are there in the world? I don't even know. But there, can't, there can't be that many that have gone past a thousand episodes. You know, I think a lot of people yeah, start the a podcast. Daily ones have, but we're not daily. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're mm -hmm. weekly. Yeah. Okay, we've got final three questions for you, yes, then we'll let you get right. on with your your day. Uh, Harry, you want to kick off? Yeah. What's got you excited at the moment? Uh, the start of the season. I'm excited for that. Um, mm. Yeah, excited that they've squeezed eight in. I think they'll get 15 because they need that broadcast money. Yeah. <laughs> so they'll figure a way to get 15 in. I'm sure Ross is on top of that. But um, not quite sure that I, how I feel if it only ends up eight and 10. Is that a full season? I think there's going to be a lot of people hanging asterisk on Lewis's seventh title if it's not yeah. a full season. And yeah. that's not fair to Lewis. Um, so anyway, yeah, hopefully they'll get 15 or more. 
Yeah, I, yeah. I think by the look of it, when they released that calendar, it seemed like this is the provisional. This is the first calendar. There's more yeah, coming. It seemed like that was yeah. the European calendar, and the yeah. rest will hopefully be, uh, yeah. you know, the Singapore's and all that. Yeah, um, not Singapore, they, they won't do it. But um, Abu Dhabi. We have yeah, right. um, another question, which I suppose is, is semi-relevant. I mean, we ask everyone this usually, and we tend. You're the first sort of, um, I guess, left field guest that we've had. Most of our, our guests have been racing drivers um, or, or pundits or so on. Um, and we ask them if not doing what you're doing, what would you be doing? You do this, like you say, as a, as a not a side hustle, but it's it's a side passion. And you have a day job, and you you're a businessman, you're an entrepreneur. So I guess if you weren't doing the Park Ferme, you'd be off doing doing your business um, bits and pieces. Yeah, if I wasn't doing my day job, I would like to do the website and podcast full time for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, I have such a passion for it. And if I wasn't doing the website and podcast, yeah, I'd be doing what I do in my day job. Mm. And, and I am, you know, I'm yeah. just squeezing in the podcast and the website. Um, if I wasn't doing either of them, uh, I'd be a professional guitar player for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's your, so, what's your style of music? What's your thing? Uh, you know, I was born and raised, uh, British, British blues rock, uh, you know, all of the, all the greats Clapton and David Gilmore is a huge, uh, uh influence, uh, all those guys. So, yeah. Well, we, we can, there's another guy we can form the band with Harry. Yeah. We've, we, we, I mean, sort of, what can you play again? Your me well i can't yeah. I, I i can play the guitar a, li a little bit you you're also singer two well, singers learning the piano yeah i've got an album gone it's just saying just it's saying nice it's a, it's a choral album it doesn't it's not count. the point it's still an album it doesn't matter it doesn't count. It's, it doesn't count that's awesome um, and harry's a uh, harry appears in theater don't you know darling and all that kind of stuff so nice. I'll, I'll put on a performance for you please um final question though for you todd what are you scared of oh um yeah that's a tough question um are you you looking like those like i don't like spiders could be anything well, we had a, a whole collection we've, we've had, had all phobias sorts. and we've had quite the philosophical answers yeah we had so, we had oh, really? freddie okay. either we had freddie hunt um james hunt's son yeah and he he couldn't even answer it it, it got too it got too much, got too much got deep and we really didn't intend it when we wrote it. I don't think we intended it to be a deep answer, but it's been interpreted as such over the over the episodes. Yeah, uh, but, you know, it's one of those things when you challenge someone, what's your fear, you know? Yeah. It's a tough question because um, everyone is in a different mental space around that word mm. and what it means to them. And in some yeah. sense, yeah, I don't like spiders much. But um, my philosophical answer mm -hmm. is I'm not... I don't like mobs and I don't like mobocracy. Um, I don't like dehumanizing people mm -hmm. by lumping them into uh, uh, collectives. Um, I really like the, you know, getting to know the person. Um, and you guys had a musician who probably said it best. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him, but his name is Sting. Uh, and and I quote him because I think he said it best. He said that uh, men go crazy in congregations. They only get better one by one. And I, I firmly believe that's the truth uh, because it would be easy for someone to watch this and lump all three of us into the podcasting category. But Tim... And Harry, you guys have uniquely used stories and lives that I'm much more interested in than just as a, as a podcaster. So, yeah, I, I don't like that. I don't like dehumanizing and, and mobocracy. Great. And are you scared of spiders? Um, Depends how big they are. Nominally. 
I'm, I am to the, to the shock value of seeing one. <laughs> Because uh, I got bitten by a brown recluse one time. That wasn't oh, fun. Oh, God. Brown um, recluse. Yeah. Sounds me for life. Yeah, it's not fun. And so, um, but the other thing is, uh, okay, here's, here's, here's better than that. Um, I don't like uh, getting into water that I can't see the bottom of. Yeah. Lakes, uh, rivers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's Absolutely a good one. Absolutely mortified by then. That's a good one. The, the weirdest one we had was Crofty from Sky Sports F1, who has a phobia of tea bags. Really? Yeah. yeah wow. Really weird. really weird. Really weird. Very strange. Huh. Very strange man. Um, but listen, Todd, that that brings us to a close. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed um, listening to you speak today. Thoroughly enjoyed listening to um, all of your uh, podcasts over the last few years. They've kept me company on the commute into London and to work. Um, keep it up and. Um, um, let's hope there's many more to come. Um, where can people find you? What what do they look for? In, in, uh, and I know you don't like picking yourself up, but go on just for once. Where, where can yeah. people find you? Well, first of all, guys, the honor is all mine. Thanks so much for having me on uh, the show. I couldn't be more grateful uh, for the time and, and interest in having me on. Uh, I'm humbled by that. Uh, you can find the website, certainly theparkforme.com is the website. And if you go to iTunes or your favorite podcast podcast, uh, player and look up the park for may you'll find it uh on most of them like stitcher and all those uh, podcast players so uh that's where you'll find us great well we'll chuck all your links in our in our description um but todd negative camber thank you for joining us you bet thanks so much guys thank you so much for listening to the motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials twitter at motormouth underscore instagram at motormouth underscore official and on facebook just search motormouth you can download the motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile and interact with others and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast. We here at Motormouth are a small, independent team. Since starting this podcast just over a year ago, we're reaching over 15,000 of you across 30 countries around the world. And we want to bring the biggest names in motorsport to you. Find out about their lives and careers and have a chat about whatever is going on in the motorsport world. We are determined to carry on producing these episodes. However, they do come at a cost. From securing guests to equipment and editing software and expanding the podcast and app, that's why we've set up a Patreon page where you can help us to carry on doing what we do. There are three levels at which you can contribute, starting from £5 a month to £10 or £20. Each tier allows you slightly different levels of access. Depending on which one you choose, you can enjoy early access to podcast episodes, exclusive member benefits, merchandise, shout-outs, and your chance to feature on one of our shows. Any support you can give us is massively appreciated and will help us grow and continue to bring cool content to race fans all over the world. 